The talk is about the inevitability of wisdom. I'd like to begin this first talk of mine for this three-month journey that we're on with a poem by a master carver from Canada named Robert Davidson. He's from what we know to be uh, the Queen Charlotte Islands, but apparently Queen Charlotte never even came to Queen Charlotte Islands, and the people who are from there like to call their island Haida Gwaii. So this is a prayer song. Today there is no wind to push me. Today there is no wind to hold me back. Today we will go on our own strength. It's a very simple poem. It's a prayer. And I like that way of seeing uh, the beginning of this retreat because we really come in and face that we're really up against um, our own ability to see clearly. That's what I see as our own strength. Today there is no wind to push me. Today there is no wind to hold me back. But we go on our own strengths. And the long retreat is a real opportunity to develop this strength of seeing clearly. When the Buddha was old and just before he died, Ananda was a monk who spent his, his whole, uh, the Buddha's whole teaching life with, with the Buddha. And since the Buddha was dying, Ananda was worried uh, that the teachings would die with the Buddha. He was worried about how to preserve the teachings. He was worried that there needed to be rules for the order of monks and nuns. And so he asked the Buddha, what are we going to do with the teachings when you die? You know, what's going to happen to the community of monks and nuns? What's going to happen to the Sangha? And should we make rules? And the Buddha answered very simply to make of yourself your own light, to make of yourself your own lamp. It seems very similar to that feeling of today we will go with our own strengths. When one being in this world wakes up, in one moment that you wake up, the whole world wakes up, in any moment that you experience a real deep peace, the whole world is experiencing that peace. And in any moment that we're mindful, and the whole world is affected at that moment. And it's an incredible sense of when we make of ourselves a light, we light up the whole world. In the word Buddha, there's a root word, B-U-D, Bud could be seen as bud, uh, but it means one who wakes up as if from a deep sleep. What we're doing is awakening the symbol of the Buddha behind us, behind me, uh, means that we all have this potential of seeing clearly, of understanding, of making ourselves a light or a lamp. 
in some ways, it's quite easy to be mindful in one moment. And what's hard is to have some kind of continuity with that. On a long retreat, we get a sense of the difficulty of that, that we do it once and we think, well, that, that was good. Can I leave now? And it seems like we should be able to accomplish something in that moment and not have the next moment come and be faced with that same uh, choice. How do we make of ourselves a light? It comes from this continuity of, of trying, of, of keeping at it no matter what. It's paying attention to life on purpose. And we practice over and over and over this non-judgmental attention. This non-judgmental attention is the ability to come to a moment with the intention to understand rather than to judge our experience. That sounds beautiful and it sounds simple, but again, we can do it often in a moment, but the habit the habit of mind is to judge our experience and to judge. The mindfulness is again that opening to the experience without the judgment. The power of non-judgmental attention, the power of mindfulness, I see to be like the power of the sun. When we have a flower bud, or if you have a garden where you see flower buds, there's this incredible power of timing and rhythm, rain and, and sun, but it's really the sun that allows that flower to open deeply from the inside. And this is what the power of mindfulness of like is like. That non-judgmental attention is what allows us to open deeply from the inside. And we gradually open. We just don't um, rip our petals open and again be done with this process. It takes time. I find that if we can learn to live through one moment, you know, that's all we can do. We learn to live with one moment and deeply experience that moment and light up that moment with awareness. Understanding will come. It's inevitable. And we often get frustrated because we can't do it moment after moment after moment. But that one moment, we usually have a glimpse of peace and of understanding, and that's what keeps us going. We realize the power of that freedom that comes from understanding. Retreat time in our life is so rare. And we get these glimpses of unconditional peace. Really being okay with whatever is happening. Really being okay with how things are. We get glimpses of this unconditional love or metta. And I'd like to talk about what makes these glimpses possible. I usually come to this retreat 
at least a week early to uh, go through the adjustment from the tropics to a New England autumn and all the all work that goes into getting a three-month retreat going. This year, my husband Stephen decided to go to Burma for this time, and there was a lot more to do than usual before I left. And I was so busy uh, that I had a day where I went into the grocery store. I was running around so much, and I went in and I paid for a lot of groceries and walked out to the car and just didn't have, of course, I didn't have the groceries with me. And I, I thought, you know, something's missing. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I was so stressed out. It just took me that long. I, could, I was looking at my car and I thought, what did I come here for? You know, <laughs> turn around, grocery store. Now think hard, Michelle. <laughs> that, that's a clue, grocery store. <laughs> and I went back into the grocery store and, you know, they all know me there and I was going to get really embarrassed and then I thought, you know, it's okay. And even in those moments, what I found that, yeah, <laughs> I really wasn't mindful for all of that time. But that if we can, ex you know, I could accept that moment, that makes it okay. You know, it's okay uh, <laughs> to miss a whole chunk. <laughs> and then I held up my keys to the ladies in the store and I said, see, I have my keys, <laughs> I'm doing really good. And then three days later, I did the same thing. I went in and I paid for my groceries. And then I left and I didn't have them, got to the car. And I couldn't believe I did it twice in a row, you know. And I, I had to, I, and then I realized, wow, you're really <laughs> going fast, Michelle. And I went back in there and I was like, <laughs> yeah, twice in a row. Uh, don't ask me what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I teach school. <laughs> Mindfulness? <laughs> so anyway, I got here later than usual. Um, and I find that every year that I come here from Hawaii, I, I was from here in originally New England, and I've spent probably every fall of my life in New England. Uh, but it seems like more and more it's a big adjustment. Uh, I keep looking out at the trees and the rain and the cold, and it's like, you know, what is this? It's, it's, so, it's so strange. Uh, and I see that over time, this, uh, it takes so much energy to ch make the adjustment. Uh, and slowly my openness to the new surroundings happens. And I, I noticed in the last few days that I really can see the chickadees and the chipmunks and, and appreciate where I am. You know, it's like I've come home to this place. I don't know if you've experienced that if you've come from far away, but gradually you start to settle in. Uh, maybe you can really hear the owls at night or the coyotes or appreciate, you know, the power of the drought that's happened this summer. I've never seen, I've never seen a drought like this in New England. It's so amazing uh, to see what's happened to the trees. And what I notice is that as we all start to settle in, you know, we start to see this shift in the quality of awareness. 
There's an ability to surrender more to our environment here, to the food, to our rooms, to you know, the road here, everything that we're doing, and we start to open a little bit. And it's, it's great to feel a whole group go through that process. It's one of the powers of the community here to feel all of us settle in. One of the things that is difficult in any situation where we're settling in is we don't get to choose what we're opening to. And just like a flower opens, it doesn't get to choose between a a drought uh, or a thunderstorm or hail or snow. You know, soon it'll get cold and there'll be flowers that are still here and it'll snow. You know, they don't choose that. It just um, is where we are and what we get to open to and learn from. Practice is experiential. And it comes from opening to our own experience over and over. And out of our own experience, we develop understanding. More and more, I see how it's the understanding that feels so wonderful. Understanding feels good. That's why we do this practice. We practice for happiness, and it's a different kind of happiness that we're conditioned to experience. It's the happiness of understanding. It's the happiness of being at peace with how life is. And it's not about what we want life to be. It's about how it is. We're moving in the meditation practice from being very or totally involved in the conceptual world to a more experiential experience of the world. It's not that we get involved so much with our conditioned memory of our experience, but we try to just be with how it is. Like when there's a sound of a car going by, There's a thought, well, that's a car, but then we try to bring our attention right to that bare experience of hearing itself. And there'll be moments where we understand this. A lot of times we won't understand why we're doing it, uh, but there'll be a moment where we'll really, truly just hear the sound. And in its purity, often there'll be tears of joy, you know, that, oh, we got here. There'll be that moment, yeah, when we're walking and we really do take a step or we might be eating and we really do taste the food. And you'll, you'll just be amazed at the power of awareness. You're, you're, you're here, you're at home in this world. Often at the beginning of a long retreat, we start to get a glimpse of how much we haven't been here. We get glimpses of the unconditional peace, we get glimpses of the metta, but we also start to get pretty shocked at, you know, wow, I haven't been here that much. And that can be, it can either be discouraging or very inspiring. that we have this opportunity to be here more, to get more of our life. Any moment where we 
are here, we're mindful. We're not lost in mental torment. And sometimes the um, significance of that is lost in, a, in the ups and downs of a day of retreat or the ups and downs of a week of retreat. There's a simplicity. There can be a real just simple moment where we're not being tormented. We're not suffering deeply in a thought uh, pattern. And yet it, it often won't feel good enough. Somehow we want it to be deeper. We want the experience to yield something more than just that ease. Uh, over time, I find that in a long retreat, we get to really appreciate that ease. We might not overlook it or, or uh, grasp its significance that we do have that moment of peace. Anytime when we come back from being lost, of, uh, lost in thinking, that is significant. And it might not be that it's the peak experience of your life. Uh, over time, that'll be okay. We plant seeds of peace in meditation. When I first came to meditation, I had lived up in northern Maine, uh, and I had a huge garden. And I had to let go of all that to come on retreat over my first years of practice. And I remember complaining to Joseph Goldstein, you know, that I didn't get to do any gardening anymore. And over the years, then I started teaching. <laughs> and I really lost the ability to have much of a garden. I have a little herb garden at home. But over the years, Joseph would say, you're planting a different garden. <laughs> you're planting a different garden. Uh, we're planting seeds of mindfulness. We're planting seeds of waking up, of light, of strength. It's an incredible garden. Um, it's more invisible than having a, a tangible seed in your hand and the earth that you put in. But that's the exact same process that we're doing. I'm not sure which book this is from, but there's a man named Reps that lived with Steve and I and Chandra, my stepdaughter, uh, for a year in Hawaii. And this is just a little thing that he said. Root, still, bud will come. Root, still, bud will come. That's all you have to know about the three-month retreat or the six weeks here. All you have to do is root, you know, be still, be here, and the buds will come. You can't control when your garden will sprout. You can't control when a moment of mindfulness will happen. But it does. You come back. Have you noticed? You know, you've come back. You might be gone for a while, but amazingly enough, <laughs> it comes back. It's, it's really a miracle. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh has a book called The Miracle of Mindfulness. And any moment where you come back, if you can treat it as a miracle, you'd be much more happy. 
when you think you have control over it, you're miserable. You know, just think, if you think that you can control being mindful the next five minutes, it's depressing. It's frustrating. Forget it. You know, just forget it. But if you can just have that sense that any time it happens, it's this wonderful miracle, your garden will, you know, sprout more. You won't be resisting all the moments when you're gone, like when I didn't get the groceries twice in a row. Part of the process of opening to life and understanding life is coming to grips with that life has this amazing change of pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality. There's birth and death. There's anger. There's loving kindness. There's jealousy. There's compassion. Autumn, autumn and berry, there's these incredibly beautiful leaves, but it gets colder and colder. <coughs> Today when I was outside, I saw the most cute, you know, there's chipmunks, they're so cute. <laughs> there's something, if you're really down, just go hang out with a chipmunk, because it's hard to stay down if you hang out with them for a while. Just listen to them. They're, <laughs> they're so funny. Um, And I saw the chipmunks, but I also saw a lot of dead frogs on the road that had been run over. They come out in the rain. There's this this amazing array of birth and death happening over and over. We can develop strength out of facing life as it is, but it is difficult to be in the present moment. Again, it's not so easy in a moment, but over time, um, there's a reason why it's hard. We have to face change. We have to face insecurity. And we have to face that there are things happening that we don't want to be aware of, as well as aware of. We get more and more sensitive, uh, and there's more to open to. In February, I did a retreat at my home in Honolulu. And if you have been to a warmer climate, the windows are open uh, all the time. And I lived in a neighborhood where people live very close together. So I went into this retreat feeling like um, I knew that I I, I thought I knew what the sounds were and what I was going to be having aversion to and what I wasn't. I had it kind of all clear what was going to happen. And it didn't turn out that way at all. My whole expectation about uh, what I would be dealing with wasn't like that. And I would imagine the same will happen for you, that you'll have this expectation of how it will happen, but it, it doesn't happen like that. So I had this expectation uh, that I could sit a certain place and go to sleep in a certain place and I wouldn't be so bothered by sound because sound is my doorway into heaven and hell. If it's an unpleasant sound, it's my doorway into hell and then liberation (laughs) if if I stay with it. Uh, Or a pleasant sound is a doorway to heaven. So when I would go to bed at night and I'd be lying down doing lying meditation before falling asleep, I started to hear 
my neighbors in ways that I'd never heard before. It was extraordinary. I, part of me couldn't believe I'd never heard this stuff before. I'd hear, first I'd hear the neighbors and this family arguing, and then uh, I heard this neighbor, he would, I didn't know he worked at night, so at 2.30 in the morning his alarm would go off. I've lived there for years and I've never heard it. And then at 2.45 his mother comes in and yells at him because he doesn't get up. And <laughs> then at 2.50 his mother comes in again. <laughs> and I started to be able to smell the coffee, and then I heard the shower, uh, and then I'd hear him leave. And over time, I started to feel like I could hear him breathe, you know, in the bed. And, you know, I, I felt like I was experiencing his dreams. And it's like, I don't, want, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to experience this. Um, that's what you'll start to experience. You might not, you know, <laughs> you don't want to hear the person 10 rows back from your stomach gurgling. You know, you, can't, you came here to meditate, you know. <laughs> It's so funny, like what we expect to happen, you know, what we expect to liberate us isn't what really liberates us. <laughs> so I had all these ideas that, you know, I could hear the whales singing even when I wasn't in the water. But instead, <laughs> you know, do you really want to hear the children fighting? You know, I had these neighbors whose children fight a lot, and I never heard that before. So I was hearing wonderful things, but I was also having to open to unpleasant things. And usually when we are in this predicament that we're faced with opening to stuff that we didn't really want to, it comes back to that question of what are we doing? Why am I doing this? Why see clearly? This is a quotation from the Buddha. So, <clears throat> this holy life does not have gain, praise, or fame as its end, or the attainment of virtue as its end, or the attainment of concentration as its end, or even knowledge and vision as its end but it is the unshakable deliverance of the heart that is the goal of this holy life. It is the unshakable deliverance of the heart that is the goal of this holy life. This is its heartwood. This is its end. It sounds good, the unshakable deliverance of the heart. It's so inspiring. One of the more inspiring things that I feel that I get to do in a year is to be part of a young adult retreat that happens here every June. And at the end of the retreat, it's about four days, maybe five days sometimes, but it's a short retreat, but very challenging and powerful. To mark the end of the retreat in this hall, uh, we usually bring the big gong. I don't know where it is. There's a really big gong sometimes in this hall. And we bring it down into the middle of the uh, room and have everybody sit in a circle. And we ask each teenager to, if they want to, come up to the gong and to say to everyone what 
was meaningful to them about the retreat. So this year, the first person that uh, came up to do that started a trend for everybody. And he said something very haiku-like, and a very short. He came up very solemnly, uh, serious, and, and said, keep questioning, and rang the gong really loud and sat down. So the next person came up, and he was quite shy and did it quickly. He came up and he said, thanks for the wonder of life and soft mental notes rang the gong and sat down. And I almost fainted, you know. I just, I've never even heard an adult say thank you for soft mental notes, you know. <laughs> you know, no one's thankful for noting, are they? You know, <laughs> let's take a vote. I mean, it's like, um, over the years, it's so hard to even talk about noting. And here this guy, you know, just said thank you so sincerely for soft mental notes. It was quite touching because with, if you know with working with teenagers, you can often wonder if they've received anything. <laughs> you know, and they rarely express gratitude. Uh, it's more likely to be a big complaint. Uh, <laughs> so I was quite moved that he, you know, about the questioning. And you know, I really felt that they had learned something about their own spiritual life and what could be helpful. To me, questioning is what allows this deliverance of the heart to occur. Any question, any soft mental note, anything that we can do that helps us to look more closely at our experience or anything that we can do that can give space around our experience, anything that can help us to be interested in what's happening, instead of resisting what's happening, it's worthwhile. Even if it means being interested in the resistance itself, anything that helps us to be interested is worthy. This interest or willingness to be with what's happening leads to a deep acceptance of what's happening. And there'll be this intention to discover there'll be that wonder this this young adult is talking about. To me, a soft mental note, even if we don't say the note, it's like a soft question. What is happening right now? Or it's like a, and that leads to a very soft listening. If you think of noting as just noticing, questioning, listening, it doesn't have to be a mechanical, horrible thing, uh, but it is an art. It's meant to be soft. The ability to look more closely, it, it's like um, lighting up the darkness in the room. Anytime you ask yourself, what's happening? Any question, you know, who am I? Whatever it is, this leads us through the darkness of mind to the light in the mind. It leads us to seeing clearly. What are we lighting up? The Buddha taught that when we look 
very closely at our experience that we'll come to understand on deeper and deeper levels three characteristics of existence. And I don't have time to go over them in depth, but you'll hear a lot about them, and you've heard a lot about them, I'm sure. The first characteristic of existence Joseph was talking about last night is impermanence. And there's a profundity to that that is staggering. It means that life is changing and that we can understand that and be liberated with that understanding on deeper and deeper levels. And he said that, the Buddha said that because of this incredible change that life is, you know, that life is moving, that we all, every, every being that takes birth in this universe will experience dukkha, which is that experience is really not dependable. Experience can never be totally satisfactory because it's moving. I think of it as a kind of vulnerability uh, because there's this changeability in life. And the third mark of life, the third characteristic of existence is described as anatta. Anatta means self. Anatta means sometimes it's called selflessness or emptiness. And it means that no matter how closely you look at anything in life, anything, whether it's the mind or the heart or the body, that you can't find anything substantial or solid or separate. In my early years of practice, I was basically only interested in peak experiences. And then I kind of thought everything else that happened was junk. <laughs> you know, it's like, it didn't mean much to me. And it's, it's like there was so few moments that I felt were good enough and worthy of my attention in some ways. You know, in some ways it was less than 1% of my experience that I, I felt was worthy of mindfulness. Um, I knew that peak experiences came from paying attention to an ordinary experience, but I valued those experiences over anything ordinary. But over time, I suffered so much because of this attitude. (laughs) I started to let go, and I started to be able to be interested in all experience, not just ones that were yielding me this glimpse of freedom. Um, My practice changed tremendously from that place of wanting to get peak experiences to wanting to be with things as they are. I think that that journey of, of slowly opening to all experience is what the practice is all about. Um, But to be able to really do it over and over, moment after moment, to really let go and be there just as it is, again, it's not always so easy. And what makes it possible is this ability to see clearly, 
The strength comes from seeing clearly. So what we do is we take the energy that we normally would put into resisting what's happening or being busy or being ahead of ourselves or distracting ourselves or zoning out or pouting you know, feeling sorry for ourselves. However, whatever we do with our energy, we take that energy uh, to just be with how it is. It's amazing. It's a revolution. It's so extraordinary, this practice. There's a highway right near my home in Honolulu, and it's the only road in town. It's the only way I can get anywhere. And it now has been under, under construction for over six years. Just major, I mean major construction, not minor construction. And they've hired a person with a very soothing voice for a hotline that we call. You know, I, I think they must pay this guy a lot of money. You know, they must have surveyed thousands and thousands of voices to, to get just the right voice that when you listen to it, you kind of you know, unstressed, just listening to him talk. Uh, so I have to call it any time I want to get anywhere just to have some idea of when I'm going to get out. <laughs> and this year, I, I was here for almost two months in the spring and then came back. And it's amazing to me how quickly I forget how to practice in that situation. I've had six years now of practice, but two months away, I forgot what I, what I do to, <laughs> to be okay in this situation. So I, um, I didn't call that day because I forgot completely about it, but just to let you know what happens when you do call, uh, he has different descriptions of, of traffic delays. So he calls a minor backup. It's, a minor backup is 15 minutes to a half an hour minor backup. A medium delay, he changes from back, back up to delay. A medium delay is a half hour to an hour. A major backup is one hour to one and a half hours. And a major delay is two hours. And then <laughs> when it's over two hours, he says, well, folks, if you're heading into Honolulu today, you've got problems. <laughs> It's really funny. I mean, it's, it's incredible. You know, it's incredible that we even start out with two over two hours, you know, to go. It's, it's, and what I usually do, I got out in the road that day, and I just, I start looking ahead, like, my big thing is, is it moving? Is it, are we going to be moving? That's one of my first things. And then I notice that my body just starts tightening. And it tightens, and it tightens, and it tightens. And I'm still not, you know, noting <laughs> or being aware. There's a resistance, aversion, and it's so unpleasant. But there'll be suddenly a moment where I'll notice it. You know, that's that miracle of mindfulness where it's like, oh, oh, aversion. <laughs> okay, this must be really unpleasant for me. You know, and I'll just go through that whole thing of realizing... <laughs> Yes, I don't want to be here for two hours in traffic, okay. You know, and then it's slowly I open to that aversion. And I can experience, the only problem is that I don't want to experience the aversion. It's very simple. Uh, and it's so funny because I forget 
that I'm going to be up against that every day when I go out on the road. But being away, it was interesting that I did forget. But it comes back very quickly for me now. I've had lots of practice. And sometimes if I really am not quite there, I'll go, ouch. I'll just know, ouch, ouch. And that, that gives me the sense, yeah, this hurts. I don't like it. And I can open to that I don't like it. When you learn to let a sound come and go just as it is, when you learn to let a breath come and go just as it is, that's pretty easy. Then we get to the places where we need to learn how to let aversion come and go just as it is. That's not so easy. Or attachment come and go just as it is. Or loneliness come and go just as it is. All of the practice that we do with sound with the breath, which are, are pretty easy in, in relationship to aversion, attachment. Uh, that's what helps us to open to the harder ones, is learning to do it with the easier ones. And gradually we open more and more to all of life. One of the other things that I've learned to do in the situation of, of two hours or more in traffic is that a lot of the suffering comes from feeling like I'm wasting time. I'm very conditioned to think that I should be doing something uh, and not waiting in traffic. Uh, so one of the things I've also learned to do if I can't be mindful is to look around me and to see that we're all stuck there. It's like we're all stuck on this earth. And in traffic, I get to that sense of, oh yeah, we're all just here. And I look around, and it's so easy to do compassion. You know, it's so easy to do metta. And in a way, I, I shift the situation from where I'd, I'd suffer a lot to being really grateful. You know, I get two hours to practice metta. Where else do I get that in a day in my daily life? I don't. I get two hours to do compassion or whatever. Uh, sometimes the things that can be the most difficult for us are our greatest teachers. Resistance takes a lot of energy, uh, but it can be quite quick and hard to see. It can be subtle, it can be strong, uh, but I think often it happens so quickly it's hard for us to see. And an example is this year in Honolulu. Two years ago, we never even locked our doors at home, and there's been a huge change in the crime rate and burglaries and uh, drug problems, which most of the burglaries come from. And Stephen and I were teaching a retreat, but we were taking turns going up to this retreat. Most of the time, somebody's at our house. And I woke up that day with a very funny feeling in my gut that something was off, but I didn't pay attention to it. And I said, you know, we both went up to the retreat. And I, I kind of felt very ambivalent. I kept going back and forth, oh, I should stay or I'll go, I should stay or I'll go. And then I went up, and then I felt very funny, and then I thought, I'll go to the grocery store. I was acting very strangely. And I was driving along, and then I got very ambivalent about going to the grocery store. And I'm like, what's wrong with you, Michelle? You know, what's wrong? And something was off. So I went to the grocery store, but I was 
felt funny. I drove around the corner to my house, and I saw a vehicle that was weird, new, strange, and I felt funny. I pulled in our driveway, and I kept denying that I felt funny. And then I walked into our uh, doorway, and there was mud all over. They, in Hawaii, they have uh, lanais. They're called lanais. They're like cement porches, but they're not a porch, they're just cement before you walk into your house. So I walked onto the lanai and there was mud all over it. And I, I knew it was different. And I, my first thought was, this is really funny. <laughs> I thought, well, Steve must have ordered something and the delivery person went nuts. You know, I just, it was just like my first thought. Uh, because I knew that there was only one spot that anybody could get mud on their feet uh, in our yard. It's a place where my husband Steve has been trying to get grass to grow for about three years. and He plants grass seed and then <laughs> for some reason it never makes it, but it's this huge muddy place in our yard. So the, uh, I thought that a delivery person came and couldn't get anybody in the front door, so they went around, went through the mud, went back, and then came around and had mud all over. I, was, I convinced myself that that's what had happened. I went in the house, but I felt like something wasn't really right. Half of me was battling that something really wasn't right. And I looked in the back and there was mud all over the back lanai, and then I could see where a door was jimmied. Then I called the police, you know, then I looked all around, somebody, you know, people were trying to get all in our house, there was a ladder where somebody was trying to get in the bathroom. It was, it was really um, a big thing that it happened, it wasn't a little thing. But what I'm trying to describe is the power of resistance. You know, it's like I didn't want it to be happening, so I made up this whole story of what had happened. Really quickly, it was just one thought. Oh, Steve ordered something, and the delivery person went crazy. And then when I looked in the back and I saw that that's not what had happened, I started laughing. It's like, wow. You know, it's, it's so interesting. You know, if you can be interested in that rather than judgmental of that, because we do it all the time. That's a, that's a little example. But if, if you see how much we're in the present moment, if you're really honest about how much you're in the present moment, it's not that much. <laughs> and then what's happening most of the time is resistance. It's quick. It's really quick. It's very subtle. But it can be interesting. You know, for me, that was so interesting that I could look back over several hours and see that I just didn't want to face something. You know, I didn't want to. I didn't want it to be. Didn't want it to be happening. We can be interested in resistance um, to the point where we're willing to experience it. And then when we can experience resistance, we can usually experience what we're, what we're resisting. So there's levels to it. Usually you can't dive right into experiencing what we're resisting. Because you know, that's not what's happening. When resistance is happening in the present moment, what's happening is resistance and it's okay. But we hear this teaching that, oh, we should be in the present moment 
and we'll be happy if we're in the present moment. And then when we see the resistance and how much of it is, we try to get rid of it. And that doesn't work, you know, because it's there. It's what's happening. And the moment when we can say, oh, resistance, it's just resistance, usually that acceptance makes it possible to go into the layer of what we're resisting. Opening to how life is, to what is, uh, takes a certain kind of surrender. I find that what allows us to make of ourselves a light is being able to continue to do the practice even when it gets difficult. You know, to be able to go through the ups and downs and not just the ups. Developing understanding is not about what someone else says and it's not anything that we read. It's only what we understand from our own experience. And that experience means that we go through the ups and downs. And sometimes we'll forget why we're practicing. We often do. Uh, And the, the strength comes from the ability to keep going with it even when we forget why. that can help us to open to experience. And I see these ways as learning to play with our focus of attention. And these different focuses of attention bring different perspectives. So I'd like to talk a bit about microscopic attention and a very wide open awareness because I think they're both very useful, and I'll just talk about them very briefly. But I see that they develop, they help us develop the ability to see clearly. They're just different perspectives. So you'll hear us encourage in the instructions to focus very very much on a small area of the body, for example, on the tip of the nostrils, or the rising and falling movement at the abdomen, or in the walking movement, in the slow walking, uh, in a very small area of the, of the leg um, or the foot, or with one sound. The question, who am I, you know, or what is happening, this um, ability to bring the attention closely to what is happening allows us to understand the body free from any ideas about it or to understand what hearing is free from any ideas about it or to understand what the experience of anger is free from any ideas about it. The ability to look very closely helps uh, the attention to penetrate uh, what is on a very microscopic level. I read in the newspaper the other day that something like 
I'm not going to get the statistic totally right, but it was like 99.9% of a particle of matter is space. You know, that's our body. <laughs> you know, 99.9% of a particle of matter is space. And this is why we develop microscopic attention. Because you can experience that. You're, it's not that hard, really. Uh, and there's a powerful understanding that comes uh, from seeing ourselves that way, from seeing any body that way, of seeing any mind that way, or any heart that way. So it's a perspective. The microscopic attention is a perspective that we can develop very powerful understanding of life from. We also encourage you to open up the attention and to get a wide-angle view. You know, why listen to a sound as if it's a symphony? Can we listen to the experience of loneliness as if it's a symphony? Or open to the body as if it's a symphony? Or open up to the awareness itself? You know, there's just so many ways that we can explore from a very open, wide-angle to a very microscopic lens. And I think of that wide-angle as um, sometimes, rarely these days, I get to go to another island in Hawaii, and they're very small planes that sometimes one goes on. And so as I start to fly out of this big city of Honolulu and look down, one of the first things that makes me laugh is that I see the highway that has driven me crazy for six years from this incredible distance so that it doesn't even look like anything. It's just this insignificant, irrelevant little line. Uh, And then I see the place where I swim and I see this garden and house, but it's from just this incredible wide, there's so much space around it. Uh, that's what we're doing in meditation. We get, it's like climbing a mountain, that wide view in the space, the stepping back and looking at what's happening rather than going in to what's happening. Um, they both give different kinds of views. Sometimes you'll find that you go back and forth between that openness and the microscopic, the openness and microscopic. There's all kinds of ways that we can understand and see So try not to have an idea that one or the other is right or wrong, but they work for us at different times and in different ways. They're they're all helpful. Just before I left, uh, there's a Sunday sitting that we do, and there was a man that, at the end of the sitting, who raised his hand and he said that suddenly when he was sitting there was absolutely nothing he did but he had a totally different perspective of his body he said it was like his body wasn't his you know and his his awareness felt free but it was like really sudden and then it was like his it was back to normal um he had a glimpse it was so powerful it was so transforming It was wonderful to see that that happened for him. Uh, That the understanding that we get is is transformative. 
it's why we practice. It's that um, unshakable deliverance of the heart that we're doing. I have great faith in opening to life in our moment-to-moment experience and mindfulness. I really know that if we surrender to experiencing a moment fully, just one moment, if we can surrender to it and live through it, that we can light that moment up with awareness and that understanding will come, that understanding and freedom is inevitable for all of us if we just keep going. Let's sit for a few minutes. <laughs> 